Good morning once again and welcome. If you're a guest with us, I especially want to extend our gratitude for you being with us on this beautiful but brutally cold Sunday morning. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it really is our privilege to have you. Uh, This Sunday we continue what has now been a four-week trend of me not preaching. So this is my last Sunday not getting to preach. I hope you'll be back with us next week. I I preached my sermon for next week to myself before I got out of bed this morning. I am just kind of jonesing to get back into the pulpit. But uh, we have had um, three wonderful weeks of, uh, of sermons, uh, some from folks within our church body. Last week, of course, we had Dr. Don Wilton that preached for us earlier in the early service. Brother Kerry Snelling preached. And this morning, uh, Brother Brian Garbade is going to preach for us. So uh, Brian is on his way. Hurrying up. Uh, Brian is a deacon here and has been a member here at our church since before I came. But um, I'm sure that he'll get to share with you a little bit more about what God's doing there. But uh, just appreciate his willingness to be here. He preached uh, something similar to this in Scotland last Sunday um, and uh, is here with us this morning. So, Brian, welcome. Thank you. Can everyone hear me? Okay. All righty. We will be in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. I'm Ryan Garbade. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. I uh, didn't have anything to do with church. And a girl I was dating at the time uh, invited me to church. And at the age of 22 is when I accepted Christ. And I accepted it right here in Malvern Hill. So this has been my home church for all of my Christian life. So um, that's kind of a little bit about me. Let's get to God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. It says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know through whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly complete for every good work. Let us pray. Father, as we come to you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us. God, the words that are spoken here this morning, I pray, would be your words. And God, that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive those words. So, Father, I thank you for your word, and God, I pray now that you would move like only you can. For it is in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul is in prison. It's dark. It's disheartening. Paul is in a difficult place. We learn in chapter 1 that all have left him. And we know in chapter 4 that only Luke is with him. Paul knows that he is being poured out as a drink offering. He knows that he has finished the race 
And he knows that his reward is close at hand. And while Paul lays out several things in this chapter, I hope to bring you a message today that draws a few of them out. Paul starts chapter 3 here with some pretty discouraging words. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And it goes on to say that they're, they have a depraved mind. Now this is what the world is going to be like. And in Romans 1, Paul also gives us a good idea of what people are going to be like with a depraved mind. It says that, that they will worship the created versus the creator. While although they knew him, they did not honor him or give thanks. And he goes on to say that they will have a depraved mind. So we need to understand how the world is going to be. And Paul refers to this as the mindset on the flesh. The mindset on the flesh leads to death. And it's hostile to God. The mindset, the, the mindset loves the darkness. It hates the light. And Paul goes on to say that there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, whether Jesus' return is near or not, I do not know. But what I do know is that we are closer now than we ever have been. And we see how people are going to be in those days. And it would be easy to say, you know what? Paul is describing the world we live in today, right? It'd be easy to throw our hands up and say, you know what? This world's just going to hell in a handbasket. It'd be easy to say that. But what we cannot do is use this as some type of excuse to shrink back from the world. Why? Because there are too many lost and dying people going to hell every day. And Paul is writing this to Timothy so that he would be prepared. He would know what's coming and not be surprised when it comes. Now, believer, how often are we surprised when we have to deal with difficult people in difficult circumstances? How often? Now, how do we know when we are surprised? It's by the way, our, way we respond with our actions and attitudes, right? Landed in Scotland a couple of weeks ago. And as soon as I got there, we were standing at the carousel waiting on our luggage. And my phone's linking back up, and I've got like 45 missed calls and texts are blowing it up like the 4th of July. And I said, oh my goodness, I can't even get here. And I looked down and it says, boss, we got big troubles. I said, this isn't going to be good. So I get on the phone, getting all the luggage. We're going through the airport. Something happened at the farm. Feed went off. Several hundred birds died. 
trying to figure out what was going on. They were leaving in two days. I figured I had it made. Only two days, and they were going to be gone. So I'm on the phone trying to figure it out, calling the service guy, trying to get him there to fix it. Working our way out the airport, Rob comes up to me, and he's like, what's going on? And I tell him briefly what happened. He said, oh, man. I said, I know. Can't even get here. And about that moment, my guy tells me, he said, hey, David knew this yesterday and thought you knew about it, but he didn't tell you. Now, at that moment, I'm about to blow my top. Okay? And Rob looks at me, and he grabs my suitcase, and he said, girls, y'all come with me. And in that moment, God stops me dead in my tracks and says, Brian, didn't you just spend the last few weeks preparing a sermon about not being surprised when you have to deal with difficult circumstances? I said, yes, Lord, you did. I did. Y'all get it fixed. Bye. You know? So we know we're going to have to deal with difficult circumstances and difficult people. We know this. But yet, how often can we be surprised? Especially when we have to deal with family, right? <laughs> family knows how to push your buttons, right? So then why are we surprised? Paul's warning us. Jesus also warned us as well. John 16, 33. For in this life there will be many trials and tribulations or troubles, depending on the translation. But be of good cheer. Why? Because he has overcome the world. So we know this. Timothy knew this and Paul knew this. But he's writing to warning about things to come. Paul moves on, verse 10. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, sufferings, and what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Paul starts here with his testimony of the life he served for God. Now, the life that Paul served for God was a mind set on the Spirit. And that life was all about the kingdom of God, the word of God, the truth of God, and the will of God. This is the mindset of the Spirit. This is a mindset on the spiritual things. Now, Timothy knew full well what Paul preached. He knew the life he lived and the purpose he lived it. He knew the faith that he exercised. He knew the love that he showed by his, un by his unconditional love and his uncompromising preaching of the gospel. Timothy knew all of this. And Paul wasn't writing this out of some self-righteous or holier-than-thou attitude. No, we need to understand the heart in which Paul was writing this. Paul was writing to Timothy saying, My dear son, I know what's coming. I know the difficult people you're going to have to deal with. 
I know the difficult circumstances you're going to have to go through in this world and in the church. You're going to have to deal with these things, my son. My time is short, and I'm about to die. But I need you to know that you're going to have to deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances in this life. But you, however, we see a direction change here. You, however, that's how the world's going to live. This is how you were to live. Paul is reminding Timothy of the life he modeled, and that's the life that Timothy should strive to live. Philippians 3.17, so this is nothing new. Paul says, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Church, who are you following? In today's world with Google and YouTube and every social media outlet there is, you can search, watch, or follow about anybody. But who are you following? You know, Paul gives us a really good checklist here. What is their teaching or what is their doctrine? Same word. How about their conduct? What is the purpose in that person's life? Who are you trying to model after? I've got two men in this church that I've always looked up to. That's Buster Morris and Tom Austin. Because I've seen in their life, over my Christian life, the way that, that they, they serve the church, the way that they desire to, 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 to tell people about the gospel, the way they uphold God's word, their faithful service here and to outside the community, the encouragement that they have provided for me. So believer, who are you kind of looking to to maybe model after? But there's two sides to this coin. From the very moment that each one of us accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we were given spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are not natural abilities, they're supernatural abilities. And these gifts or to be operated through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be operated under the character of Christ for the building of his kingdom, period. Has a twofold purpose with the same goal in mind. One, we should be using our spiritual gifts to see the lost come to Christ. Number two, we should be using our spiritual gifts to help a brother or sister become all that they can become in Christ. That's what our gifts 
we're giving to us for. And the main indicator in which we operate those gifts is love. That's what Paul dealt with in 1 Corinthians 13. It is love. And I'm afraid in the church too often that we don't either use our gifts, we don't know our gifts, or as they did in the church of Corinth, they, used, they tried to use their gift in the flesh. This is the life that Paul served God with. He was all about seeing the lost saved. And he was about seeing a brother or sister in Christ become all that they could be. That's the life that Paul lived. And that's the life that we're called to live. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I just don't have a lot of joy. I don't have a lot of peace. When we're operating under the way that God wants us to, we will receive that joy and peace. But when we're trying to live this in our own strength, we're going to rob ourselves of that joy that God has for us. This is the life that Paul lived. And it's the life that God has called us to live. We also see in this life that Paul lived that he had to endure headaches, heartaches, and hardships, not to mention the sufferings and persecutions. Paul goes on in 11. Persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. This word endure or endurance, we don't talk a lot about this in the church. And as I studied this, boy, did God make me realize some things about myself. And we see in 2 Timothy 2, 3, that we were to endure hardship like a good soldier. 1 Peter 2.20, it says, But if you suffer doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. John in Revelation 1.9 says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now this one kind of hit me. I don't know that I patiently endured a whole lot of things in my life. And all these verses culminate with Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus enduring the cross. And as I thought through this, again, it made me realize some things about myself. 
but it also made me realize some things about the church. In every life, there are going to be headaches and heartaches and hardships. I've seen over the years in the church where people have been faithfully serving, maybe as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, or just somewhere else in the church. And then something happens, some turmoil, heartache, or headache comes. And now they're just a pew sitter, or they don't even want to come to church at all. And I'm afraid in this American life of ease and comfort and convenience, we have lost what it means to endure, especially in the church with regards to a biblical endurance. I believe that some of the reason we see worry, stress, anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide and suicides having accelerated to an all-time high is because of this life of comfort and convenience has robbed us of what it means to endure. And it has crept in to the church. I was talking with a friend of mine a few years ago and talking about something going on in his, in his household and he referred to it as a first world problem. We have a lot of first world problems that get us bent out of shape, don't we? told my daughter just yesterday she needed to bring her car home because I needed to use it and she could share with her sister. First world problem, yet it was falling to pieces on the phone for 10 minutes. But I need my car. I, you have one there. Use your sister's. And I mean just having a meltdown. First world problem, right? I'm not going to tell you which one it was. So church, here's the question. Where do we draw our strength from to endure when turmoils, heartaches, and hardships come? 2 Timothy 2.1, the previous chapter. Paul writing to Timothy. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here for strong is endunamo. It means to enable, to empower, to strengthen or give strength. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is that the grace in Christ Jesus in your life that will empower you, that will enable you, that will make you strong when you come to those moments when turmoil or hardship occurs or when the unthinkable happens, it is the grace in your life because of Christ that empowers you and strengthens you to move forward. That's what Paul is saying here. And what we need to realize, church, is this amazing grace that saved a wretch like me didn't just cover my sin, but it empowers us to overcome sin, to overcome the world, and to overcome the schemes of the devil. This is an active grace. It is a grace that doesn't just save, but it stays. It empowers us to help us throughout this life.
we are given this grace as a grace gift. It empowers us to move forward through life. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says that we were, we were not given the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. And as Buster read just a few moments ago, back all the way in Acts 1.8, it says that God, Jesus told them to wait at Pentecost so that they could receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there for power is dunamos. The Greek word for strong is in dunamo. The center word is duna. It's the same word. This is an act of grace. The grace that redeemed you is the grace that will see you through this life. It's the grace that gave you the Spirit of God. It is the grace that will get you to heaven. But when those moments of hardship or turmoil come in your life, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that will raise up the grace to give you the strength to make it through those moments. We just sang, His grace is enough. That's what we were singing. It's not the grace that just saves. It's the grace that stays through us all the way to glory. But church, if we don't quit trying to live this Christian life in our own strength, we will fall short, we will wear out, and we will live a defeated life. If we try to live this in our own strength, that is going to happen. But God has done all of this for us. That's the thing. God doesn't want us to live a defeated life. Ephesians 1, 7 says that in the riches of his grace, God has lavished it on us. Don't you understand? He has lavished his richest grace on you. You can't spend all of his grace. He's lavished it on you. But it comes with your surrender. Because we do have a choice. We can try to live this life in our own strength. Or we can try to live it in a surrender to God's grace. Paul is reminding Timothy and us of the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. The grace of Christ is the grace that was given to us because of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. So when our life isn't going the way we want it to, or turmoil or hardship come into our lives, how often do we want to have a pity party and ask, why me? How often? Now, that's a question you need to ask within yourself. Or, in those moments, are we reminded of the great cost and the great suffering that took place in Jesus' life so that we could experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness in our own life? 
Which is it? Because in those moments when we're reminded of the grace of God, instead of having a pity party and saying, why me? That is when the Holy Spirit will raise up the grace in your life to strengthen you, to help you move forward through those moments. It's an act of grace. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking to yourself, you know what, my life's pretty good. I don't have hardships or suffering or persecution, so I'm good, right? Well, not exactly. Philippians 4, 11 and 13, Paul is speaking. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here we go. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Strengthen in dunamo. That same word. Paul knew where his strength came from. And it was through the grace of God that saw him through the beatings, the shipwrecks, the persecutions, the hardships, the hunger. That's what saw him through his life. And that's what he's trying to convey to Timothy and to us. Because Paul knows the hardships and the headaches and the heartaches that we'll all experience. So are you going to live this life in your own strength? Or are you going to live in the strength of God's grace that he has lavished on you? Verse 12, in fact, everyone, now this is all of us, Paul primarily is talking to Timothy here, hence the name 2 Timothy, but it says in fact everyone, that's you and I, that's all of us, he's speaking directly to us right now, in fact everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who wants to live a godly life? Come on, I want to know. If you're a blood-bought believer, do you want to live a godly life? Yes, okay, we all agree. Everybody said yes. Okay, great. All right? So what does that godly life look like? Go back to verse 10. What does that godly life look like? The life of Paul. That's what he's referring to. The godly life that he's referring to is the life he lived. Are y'all okay with that? So we all said we just, we want to live a godly life. We see what that godly life looks like. You just heard the strength that you were to live that godly life through. But if you want to live that godly life, know that there will be persecution. 
Paul moves on. He says, while imposters and evil people will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Why? Because they are of their father, the devil, the great deceiver, who hates the light, who hates truth. The Bible says that there's none found in him. Things are going to go from bad to worse. Now here's the thing. If we aren't trying to live this godly life when things are going good, in God's strength, then you know you ain't going to do it when it's going bad. And that's what Paul conveys to us in Philippians 4, 11. He had to learn in the good and the bad times to rely on God's grace. And we wonder why so many Christians live defeated lives. Because in the good times, I got this, God. We good. And when the bad times come, they fall apart because they aren't used to living in God's grace. I'm guilty of it. But church, we have got to learn how to live in his strength and his grace because his grace is enough. So we've all agreed we want to live a godly life. We see what that godly life looks like. We see the strength in which we are to live this godly life. Last but not least. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly complete for every good work. He says, but as for you, we see that direction change again. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Now this thing right here, it, it just kept coming back and coming back on this one. Over the years, I've seen many people learn of the gospel message, of how they're in need of a Savior, and they're separated, and the only way that they can have a relationship with God is through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They learn it, but then they aren't convinced of it. But believer... We do the same thing when we use God's word. I've learned a lot of things. We've all learned a lot of things in the Bible. But are we convinced of it? And the way you live your life, the way you live your life is going to be evident of that. Several weeks ago, Craig preached on uh, the Ten Commandments. And I watched this play out in our life group, which was really cool to watch. And 
It was the one about bearing false witness, about lying. And one of the scriptures we dealt with was Jeremiah 17, 9. It says that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Is deceitful above all things. And when we broke that down, in the Hebrew, the heart is that inner core of man where our feelings, our emotions, our thought, our will. And as we walk through that, we realize that we can't trust our emotions. You've heard it from this pulpit many times. Our heart is deceitful. It is sinister. It is insidious. It will lie to us. It seeks to draw us away from God's word. And as we walk through that, over the next couple of weeks, I had a couple of ladies when they were sharing a prayer request. One was having to deal with a, with, a, with a difficult family member. And she said, you know, my emotions were getting the best of me. But I had to realize in that moment, wait a minute, I can't trust my emotions because they aren't acting in character with God's word. And I was like, praise God. Then I had another similar experience with another lady. She's like, I'm having to learn. I can't trust my emotions. And what we learned is that we can't trust our heart. Now, from the moment we got saved, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are a new creation in Christ. Amen. But that new creation... When we got saved, we received the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, and the character of Christ. But our heart is still deceptively wicked. It's drawing us away. Why do we continue to sin? It's because that inner core of us. That's why there's that struggle. That's why we're tempted to sin. Some may say, oh, well, the devil made me do it. No. The devil's only whispering in your ear what your heart already wants. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. We learn stuff in God's word, but are you convinced? Have you become convinced of it? And that goes back again to your surrender to recognizing I still have this thing inside of me that wants to draw me away from God's word. That wants me to draw me away from God. But yet you are a new creation. And the beauty of that passage is, it says the old have passed away. Praise God. Because what you ask in that moment, what did he save you from? And he says, the new has come. What did he save you to? So yes, you are a new creation. But no, when we understand that our, our wants and our desires and our emotions and our feelings, they seek to deceive us. Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul is referring back to his grandmother and his mother here. 
the life that they modeled before him. He refers to it in chapter 1. The Holy Scriptures refer to the Old Testament. And through that, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here we go. All Scripture is God-breathed. This is our standard from Genesis to Revelation. It's live. And if we want to live the godly life that we just profess that we want to live, if you don't continue in his word each and every day, you won't be able to do it. Because as we read his word, it's alive. It speaks into our heart. And it does all those things he just said. It rebukes, it corrects, it instructs. This is where we get our understanding And that alive means the same breath in the Hebrew when God formed Adam. It says he breathed the breath of life in him. And as we read God's word, it breathes life into us. And yes, is it going to rebuke us? Absolutely. Is it going to instruct us? Yes. But you just heard, you can't trust your heart because it's wanting to draw you away from God. God's word is the standard and is what everything has to align against. And he goes on because it will make you thoroughly complete for the work he has for you. So church, we learned a lot of things here today. For the one that's here that may not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, Jesus came and died on a cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and rose again on the third day. And for all who believe in him will be saved. If that's you today, you've learned this. But it comes with a surrender. And the expectation of God for sinner and saint, for lost and saved, are the same. God expected a surrendered heart before we got saved. And God expects a surrendered heart after we get saved. We have to surrender to his word, to his will, to his wants, to his desires, to his way of life. Because he's done everything for us. So believer, what do you need to surrender today? There's always something in our lives that we need to surrender to God. If you want to live a godly life, 
we just looked at how you live it, what it looks like, the strength in which you live it, and what you have to do. What area of that have you fallen short in? Because God doesn't want us to live a defeated life. He doesn't want that. So if you feel like you're here today and your life has been living a life of defeated, that isn't what he wants for you. He wants you to be complete. And he wants to produce the spiritual fruit that we see in Galatians 5. The love, the joy, the peace, self-control. He wants to see that produced in your life. So, where are you at today? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to surrender? Because God does have a purpose for your life, each and every one of you. And ultimately, that life is to glorify God. So where are you at today? Craig. So we finish up this morning. Um, God's word is very clear to us that we have an incredible opportunity. Uh, Paul's life is one that, uh, that modeled faithfulness to Christ. And as he, as he calls to Timothy, he calls on Timothy to follow in his example, uh, to, to cling to the word of God. And this morning, as you've heard the word preached, I just encourage you, if you're here today and you don't have that commitment to God's word, perhaps you don't have that joy or that peace, uh, maybe you came today and you, you're really not even sure why you're here, just to be blunt honest. You just were looking for somewhere to be. And uh, somebody invited you and you said, hey, maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, here, here's what it's all said and done. What we live for more than anything else here at Malvern Hill is to make God's name known through Jesus Christ, to see him glorified and see lives changed. And so as you hear this morning, uh, the challenge that Paul gave was to his, his protege, Timothy. And he urged Timothy at the end of his life to follow after his example. And that in Christ, or excuse me, in Paul's example, that he might find the joy of Christ. And so this morning, as Brian has preached, I just invite you. In a minute, we're going to stand. I'm going to pray for you. And as you stand, if you're here today, I would invite you to imitate Paul's life and to trust Jesus to find complete joy and satisfaction in your own. If you're here today and you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you just need to pray, I just want you to know as we sing, this altar will be open. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we love you, praise you, and thank you for this day. I thank you for loving us. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be enough. He is our provision. He is our full and complete sacrifice. He died to save us from our sin. Father God, I pray that you'd move among us today as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.